0: All right, this is Lecture 6, Part 1. Last time we were talking about Section 4.2 in the book, which is on graded potentials. And just to summarize that, uh, I've redrawn or drawn a neuron here and put some dimensions on this neuron just as an example to emphasize the point that the cell body and dendrites of a neuron can be far removed from the axon terminals of a neuron down here because of the extremely long length of many axons. So I've just put a simple example here. Let's assume that this neuron has a 600,000 micron long axon. So 0.6 meters and the just again, as an example, let's say that the cell body and dendrites of this particular neuron happen to uh, be located in the spinal cord and particularly in the neck region of your spinal cord, called the cervical spinal cord. And the axon then extends out of the spinal cord and it extends down your arm, all the way down your arm And the axon terminal then are found in some of the muscles of your forearm that control movement of your fingers, right? So the terminals are in a much different location in your body than the dendrites in the cell body. Now, as we talked about a neuron's uh, ability or capacity to detect a stimulus, so let's say that this neuron, the dendrites of this neuron, are exposed to some stimulus, and the stimulus occurs out here on one of these dendrites. Now we know that this stimulus has two important properties that are detected, and that is the, its intensity as well as its duration. Basic properties of the stimulus. Now, the neuron and the the dendrites of the neuron have the capacity to detect the stimulus because the dendrites of the neuron contain specialized stimulus-gated ion channels. that are within the plasma membrane of the dendrite, right? Fundamentally, the detection is that the the activity state of these channels is affected by the presence of the stimulus. So these go from a closed state to an open state. which obviously affects the permeability of the dendrite membrane to an ion. Now, we also talked about the transduction process, and we said that the stimulus is transduced into a graded potential by how much the stimulus, to what degree the stimulus affects the entire population of gated ion channels. So by that I mean the stimulus intensity affects the percentage of the gated channels which open. So the higher the stimulus intensity, the greater the percentage of gated channels that are going to be affected in the membrane. And that's important because this is going to determine the graded potential magnitude. How large of a change in the membrane potential occurs. Now, the... We said that the stimulus duration, then, affects the... Time over which those gated channels remain open. And then that is going to determine the graded potential duration. How long does the resting membrane potential change either to a more depolarized state or to a more hyperpolarized state? That length of change is dependent upon how long the stimulus is actually occurring. So that's the transduction process. The graded potential has a variable magnitude as well as a variable duration which are both dependent upon the properties of the stimulus. Now, when a graded potential does occur then, up in the dendrites, and we get, the example I gave was if if these channels are sodium selective, then we get a depolarizing graded potential. Draw a few little positive um, signs here to indicate a depolarizing graded potential. Well, that graded potential then begins to propagate along the membrane of the dendrite by current flow. And down here in Figure, I've copied Figure 4.2 in the book, which is on page 90, which shows this propagation or movement of the graded potential along the membrane. So here they're showing an example of, um, well, a portion of an excitable cell, but just assume that this is the dendrite of a neuron, and that in the unstimulated state, it's showing one, a particular stimulus-gated ion channel sitting in the membrane, and this channel, this gated channel, is closed when the stimulus is not present, and we have a resting membrane potential that's uniformly approximately minus 70 millivolts inside the dendrite relative to outside the cell. Now part B then shows that when there's a triggering event and typically that means that there is some stimulus that occurs outside the the dendrite, that that triggering stimulus then activates uh, some proportion or percentage of the ion channels in the membrane. And so here they're showing the ion channel being open and this leads to a net change in the ion permeability and so a net diffusion of ions across the membrane. And again, we can assume here if this is a sodium selective channel that the positive charge coming in is in the form of sodium ions. And so we get the active area, what's called the active area, that's where the stimulus actually affected the gated ion channels becomes depolarized. Then movement occurs. The graded potential moves out from that area of initiation by current flow moving along the membrane, and that's what's shown in Part C here, that the depolarization is spreading outward in both directions because the excess charges that came across through the channels are now going to be attracted to the adjacent regions which have a more negative charge with them. So current movement occurs along the membrane even after the channels may be closed. So that current then moves out. But as it moves, uh, what we talked about last time was that the graded potential movement is decrementing meaning it, it dies out as it moves. So the magnitude of the change in voltage at adjacent regions of membrane, for example, right, here's our adjacent regions compared to the initial activation site. Uh, the peak magnitude of the graded potential is going to be less. And the two reasons for that are that the, there's active transport that occurs to remove the ion that came across by diffusion. And there's also dilution of the ion as it moves into the larger volume of the dendrite and continuing on down to the larger volume of the cell body. All right, so coming back up here then, let's show the movement of this graded potential, this depolarizing graded potential, by current flow along the membrane, down the dendrite, into the cell body. And this graded potential continues to move along the plasma membrane of the cell body. And we put dimensions on dendrites and said that typically a dendrite is maybe about 200 microns in length. The cell body distance is another 20 microns approximately, right, from one end to the other. And then we said that, well, the graded potential can move maybe at most up to about 1,000 microns. Before it completely dies out, and there's no longer any more current flow because there's no more charge, there's no more excess charge that's going to move to an adjacent region because of the dilution effect as well as the active transport effect. So, here then we have let's mark this area here in red as the axon hillock region, which is our axon initial segment. Now, clearly since the hillock is within a thousand microns of where the graded potential was initiated, then this current can move into the axon hillock and even a little ways down the axon. But because the axon is so long, that current, that depolarizing current will never reach the axon terminals. So graded potential can reach typically the axon hillock because it's in closer proximity to the dendrites but cannot reach the axon terminals because of the long length of the axon. So that means that in this particular example where we've got this neuron whose axon terminals are down in the muscles of your forearm, that the stimulus that this neuron detected up in the spinal cord region of your neck, that neuron will be unable to communicate information about the intensity and duration of that stimulus down to the axon terminals by using the graded potential, because the graded potential will die out. It can't move that far. The axon terminals, we said, are critical for communicating with other cells, and in this example, the axon terminals would be communicating with the skeletal muscle cells in the forearm. So. Since the graded potential can reach the axon hillock then, then there is, well, evolution has led to um, the ability to overcome this problem of graded potentials not being able to travel these long distances over the length of an axon. The graded potential is important because it can... It captures or preserves information about the stimulus that was external to the neuron, but then it can't communicate that information down to the axon terminal. So evolution has overcome this problem by the development of the voltage-gated ion channels. And that leads into section Uh, 4.3 in the book on action potentials. So the presence of voltage, and I'm going to start abbreviating this as V, voltage-gated ion channels from the hillock down to the axon terminal uh, really is, was the evolutionary development that led to the ability of neurons to communicate information over long distances. So, it allows neurons to communicate information about a stimulus over the long length of an axon. And we're going to see how these voltage-gated channels are then important in this process. So, section 4.3 in the book. This is on action potentials. So action potentials are just another type of change in the resting membrane potential. And this section goes on for about 11 pages from page 91 to page 102 on this concept. So the length of this section uh, really should highlight the fact that action potentials are pretty important given the time that the book devotes to this single concept. So you can, I don't know, if I had to define an action potential, you can really define it, roughly define it, as a pattern change in the plasma membrane potential that involves voltage-gated channels. That's a very crude definition. A pattern change meaning a very reproducible, consistent change. Now, to define an action potential further and to give you a better feel for what it is, um, what their properties are, I'm going to talk about seven important properties of action potentials. So, I'll abbreviate action potentials as AP, since we talk a lot about action potentials. First property is that action potentials are initiated at the axon hillock. They are first initiated at the axon hillock. Right, that's the first region in which a depolarizing current from a graded potential can trigger uh, changes in the activity of voltage-gated ion channels because that's where these channels are concentrated and where they first appear in an axon. So the first are initiated at the hillock, uh, second property is they are triggered by a depolarizing current moving along the plasma membrane. Not across the plasma membrane, but along the plasma membrane. And as I just mentioned, this depolarizing current can come in the form of a depolarizing graded potential that's moving from the dendrites down through the cell body to the axon hillock. And this will always be the case of the current that comes in to the axon hillock. So this occurs at the axon hillock. The graded potential is going to be the current that can change the axon hillock membrane potential to initiate an action potential. Now, you can also get a depolarizing current um, triggered by an action potential at another segment of the axon. And so an action potential can actually cause a depolarizing current that triggers another action potential. And this is what occurs anywhere along the axon. And if this doesn't quite make sense yet, it will hopefully in a little bit because we'll talk a bit more about this. So over here, let me draw a little scale here. And our x-axis is going to be time in milliseconds. And the y-axis is going to be the membrane potential in millivolts. Now let's assume that we are able to measure the plasma membrane potential at the axon hillock, just as an example. So we'll put here that this is the axon hillock membrane potential. So resting potential is about minus 70 millivolts. We'll put that here. And as I said, these if a neuron is being not being stimulated by some external stimulus, then the resting membrane potential remains stable at minus 70 millivolts. But let's assume then that a stimulus has occurred within the dendrites of a neuron, which leads to a depolarizing graded potential right, that then moves out from the dendrite by current flow along the membrane and that current eventually makes its way down to the axon hillock. So then what we would see at the hillock is that the voltage starts to change, starts to go up. And this changes because of the graded potential current which is moving into the axon hillock. Property number three. So an action potential begins with a rapid depolarization that approaches the equilibrium potential for sodium. Doesn't quite get there, but it approaches the equilibrium potential for sodium. And this then occurs, this very rapid depolarization occurs because voltage gated sodium channels open. Now, the fundamental property, and this is why they're called voltage-gated channels, what characterizes a voltage-gated channel is that the open state of these types of channels depends upon a particular voltage that is reached across the plasma membrane. Typically, at minus 70 millivolts, the resting potential, Voltage gated channels are closed, but if there, there's a critical level of depolarization that occurs across the membrane, in other words, right, the resting membrane potential changes to a more positive value, then that can trigger these channels to, to go to their open state. Now that typically occurs for the sodium channels at about minus 50 millivolts. Now this critical voltage That causes the channels to open is what's referred to or known as the threshold potential. All right, so the threshold potential, the critical voltage that triggers opening of voltage gated channels. All right, coming back to our diagram here, or plot, let's draw a threshold potential at minus 50 millivolts. So we'll put minus 50 about right here. And we'll draw a dashed line to indicate if the voltage reaches this critical level. So here's our threshold that this is going to trigger opening of voltage-gated sodium channels. So we know that this change here is because of the depolarizing graded potential current moving into the axon hillock. Once that critical threshold is reached, then, what happens is that you see a rapid depolarization that approaches the equilibrium potential for sodium. And if you remember what that is, remember the equilibrium potential for sodium is plus 61 millivolts. Typically, an action potential will reach about plus 30 millivolts, so it doesn't quite get up to 61. And this occurs from the threshold to the peak of about plus 30 in half a second or so so it's an extremely rapid increase and at this point then this threshold voltage gated sodium channels open and there is a very large increase in membrane permeability to sodium because these channels open and so, what's going to happen is the permeability to sodium now is far greater than at rest, and this allows for a very rapid rate of sodium influx through these voltage gated channels. And as that influx occurs, the membrane is going to depolarize closer to the sodium equilibrium potential. So, this is all net sodium influx through the open voltage-gated sodium channels that's driving this rapid depolarization. Now the fourth step is that the action potential ends with a rapid repolarization that is then followed by a hyperpolarization. So almost as quickly as the depolarization occurs to plus 30 millivolts, there is a repolarization that occurs back to minus 70 millivolts. And the reason for this rapid reversal from a depolarization to a repolarization is because uh, two things happen simultaneously. The first is that the voltage-gated sodium channels... Inactivate. And I use this term purposely inactivate. It means that they close and they cannot reopen. So that means that there is now a large decrease in membrane permeability to sodium which is obviously going to lead to a decrease in sodium diffusion into the axon hillock. And almost simultaneously with this, there's another group of channels, which are the voltage-gated potassium channels now open. So the voltage-gated potassium channels, these have the about the same threshold potential as the sodium channels, so at about minus 50 millivolts. But interestingly, the potassium channels are slower to open. So whereas the sodium channels open almost immediately upon the uh, threshold potential being reached, it takes the potassium channels about a, a half a millisecond longer before they open. Compared to the sodium channels. So that means by the time that the Sodium channels inactivate, so they've opened and then closed, and within that time frame, the potassium channels are just opening. So obviously, the result here is that not only are the leak channel, potassium leak channels open, but now you have this additional set of channels, potassium channels, which open. So there's a further increase in membrane permeability to potassium. Now. As you know, when the driving force, for the net electrochemical force that's driving potassium diffusion is a net outward force, and so as more potassium channels open, there's going to be a strong potassium efflux from the cell, and that's going to cause the repolarization. So once the peak is reached, It rapidly comes back down and repolarizes to minus 70 millivolts here. So this is our rapid repolarization phase that ends the action potential. So up here at the peak is where the voltage-gated sodium channels inactivate. So there's a great decrease in sodium permeability and the voltage-gated potassium channels open, leading to an increase in potassium permeability. So this change back is because of net potassium efflux. Due to the higher potassium permeability as well as the lower sodium p- permeability. So the combination of both of these changes leads to this rapid repolarization. Now technically, we'll say the action potential ends when the membrane returns to the resting potential here. but doesn't just flatten out and go back to the resting potential, you see a continued um, now hyperpolarization that occurs, that approaches, almost reaches the equilibrium potential for potassium, gets close to minus 90 millivolts. So the action potential starts here at the threshold, And we'll say it ends at this point, even though the membrane potential continues to change to a more negative value. Now the duration of this from the start here at the threshold to the end point at minus 70 is about one millisecond. That's from this point to that point. So it only takes about a millisecond for this rapid depolarization and repolarization to occur. Well, why does the what causes the membrane potential to continue to go more negative? Why doesn't it just stop at minus seventy millivolts? Well, the reason is that. Uh, the permeability of the membrane now is even to potassium is even greater than it is at rest. So remember, at rest, there's only the potassium leak channels that are open, as well as a, a much smaller number of sodium leak channels. But when the voltage-gated potassium channels are open, that adds to the potassium permeability. And so there's going to be an even stronger efflux of potassium, which is going to cause the membrane to go hyperpolarized below minus 70 millivolts. So the membrane eventually comes back up to minus 70, like this. Now, down here is the point at which the voltage-gated potassium channels will close. So they stay open uh, a bit longer than the sodium channels do. So typically, the voltage-gated sodium channels, their open time is only about a half a millisecond. Whereas for the voltage-gated potassium channels, their open time is on the order of a few milliseconds. Two to three milliseconds. And it's that additional open time which creates this hyperpolarization and additional potassium efflux. Okay. Property number five then. At the axon hillock, when an action potential is first initiated, the action potential is said to be all or none. What that means is that once the threshold potential is reached, the magnitude of the depolarization that occurs is always the same, and the duration of the action potential is always the same. So this is going to end part one of the lecture. Magnitude of the depolarization to plus 30 millivolts is always the same. You don't get variations in uh, how much depolarization occurs. And the duration of the action potential is constant. In neurons it's typically about one, mil- mil- one millisecond. All right, it doesn't vary. All right so I'll end part one here and we'll continue with this in part two. All right continuing on with lecture six this is part two. So we were talking about then how action potentials are all or none when they are first initiated at the axon hillock. Meaning the magnitude is constant, they depolarize to the same level each time, and their duration is constant. Now the reason for this all-or-none property is that once the threshold potential is reached, all voltage-gated channels will be activated. By activated, I mean open. So, if all channels open, then there's you don't get variability in how many of them open, and if there's not variability in how many open then you're always going to get the same increase in permeability to sodium followed by potassium, and that's going to lead to the same magnitude change in voltage. So that's different from the other types of stimulus-gated ion channels that we talked about that are up in the dendrites, where variable numbers of those types of gated channels open depending upon the intensity of the stimulus. Now, the duration of the action potential is constant. In neurons, it's about one millisecond because voltage gated ion channels have a what we can call a fixed open time. Once the threshold is reached they open but then they spontaneously close and the rate at which they close is just an inherent property of the channel and for as I said for voltage-gated sodium channels their open time is inherently fixed at about a half a millisecond for the potassium channels it's inherently fixed at about two to three milliseconds. Because of that, then, they don't have variable open times, and that's going to lead to always the same duration of action potentials. And figure 4.4 in the book is here, and this is page 91, which shows the typical neuron action potential. And that, this is exactly what I drew uh, in part one, showing the threshold potential sitting at about, right, minus 50 millivolts from the resting potential at minus 70. Once threshold is reached, then this rapid depolarization to plus 30 occurs. And this is increased membrane permeability to sodium and rapid sodium influx due to this voltage-gated sodium channels. Followed by the rapid repolarization, which is due to increased potassium permeability and uh, decreased sodium permeability. So the red is then indicating the duration of the action potential. And right starts here, ends here. It's about one millisecond. The after hyperpolarization is because of the higher potassium permeability compared to uh, in the unstimulated state, and that creates additional potassium efflux that further causes the membrane to go more negative. Now, once the potassium channels close out here, the reason that the membrane comes back up to the resting potential is because of net sodium influx that occurs to bring this back to the resting potential, right? The more negative the resting, uh, the more negative the membrane potential is as it approaches minus 90 millivolts, the greater the electrochemical gradient acting on sodium, and that higher gradient is going to lead to greater sodium influx through the leak channels to bring that potential back to minus 70. Now figure 4-5 in the book then shows um, or illustrates some schematic properties of voltage-gated sodium and potassium channels. So on the left here we have the voltage-gated sodium channels and they're showing the three different states of this channel. In a resting state at minus 70 millivolts. The channel is closed but capable of opening. And if you notice in this channel, there's what's called an activation gate and an inactivation gate. So the activation gate is the voltage sensitive part of the protein channel that that opens the actual channel itself. So at the threshold here, then the activation gate opens which is shown here in the middle part, and sodium influx occurs. And the influx occurs for an inherent open time of about half a millisecond. Then the channel inactivates, and that's because this bit of the protein, which is called the inactivation gate, it actually moves, it comes up, and it blocks the channel and now the channel is inactivated. So all that occurs within about a half a millisecond of the threshold being reached. Voltage gated potassium channels are shown here in purple and they they have a closed state similar to the sodium channels with an activation gate that's occluding the, the channel And once threshold is reached, that activation gate will open. But as is shown here, there is a delayed opening. The activation gate is a little bit slower to open compared to the sodium channel. Uh, The potassium channels don't have an inactivation gate, so they don't undergo inactivation like the sodium channels do. All right, so that's uh, on page 92 in the book. And that takes us now to property number six of seven that we're going to talk about. Six important property are that action potentials propagate along the axon from the axon hillock in a regenerative manner. regenerative being exactly the opposite of decrementing. In other words, what this means is that the magnitude of an action potential does not diminish as it moves down the axon, unlike a graded potential that, that diminishes in magnitude as it moves. And figure 4-8 in the book on page 97 illustrates this. So I'm going to bring this figure in, which is right here. Let's copy this and we will insert it here. Right, so this is figure four eight on page ninety seven. And this really is designed to show how it is the underlying reason or mechanism why or that makes action potentials regenerative. And it doesn't matter how long an axon is, remember these axons can be hundreds of thousands of microns long, is that that action potential, the peak change in voltage across the membrane. Remains at about plus 30 millivolts along the entire length of the axon. Right. And this figure really illustrates why that is, how that happens. We, if we start at the axon hillock, which is shown in the upper figure. All right, so we have a graded potential. Uh, the heavy blue line here is indicating the depolarizing current of the graded potential moving along the membrane of the cell body. That graded potential may have been initiated out in one of the dendrites, but it's coming in. And we're assuming that the depolarizing current from the graded potential is large enough to bring the axon hillock region to threshold. So let's assume that here's our axon hillock in the red bit here. That's the active region initially. So the voltage-gated sodium channels open. We're getting sodium influx occurring, as indicated by the green arrow here. And the graph here shows that the peak uh, uh, depolarization of the action potential is occurring. Okay, when this happens, sodium influx occurs, as shown by the, the smaller blue arrows. Let me expand this up a little bit. Right here, these, right? This is the peak depolarization created by the sodium influx. Well, those excess sodium ions that came through the voltage-gated channels are now going to be attracted to the adjacent region of the axon which is still at the resting potential of minus 70 millivolts and so that's going to create a current flow depolarizing current flow along the membrane which is shown here by these arrows to the adjacent region of membrane which is at a more negative potential, right? These positive charges are going to be attracted to the negatively charged adjacent region. That is going to create or cause the adjacent region of membrane to begin to depolarize because of that current flow. Now that's what's shown in this middle graph here. Right down here, this bit, this section of membrane, which is highlighted next to the axon hillock, is beginning to depolarize to threshold because of the sodium which has moved along the membrane due to the opening of the voltage-gated sodium channels in the hillock. And what's critical is that there is enough sodium ions which come through the sodium channels to depolarize the hillock to create a large enough depolarizing current to bring the adjacent region of the axon to threshold. So let me write this over here. Come back out. So they come across the hillock membrane through the voltage-gated sodium channels to cause a large enough depolarizing current along the axon membrane to bring the adjacent region to threshold. (laughs) Now because of that, then When the adjacent region comes to threshold, and this is shown in the bottom figure here, right now we're looking at this red region, which is the middle one. Well, when this region comes to threshold, then the voltage-gated sodium channels in this adjacent region are going to open. And so now more sodium is going to come in to the axon at this adjacent region that's shown here by the green arrow. And that additional sodium influx is now going to cause the action potential peak to occur at the same magnitude as it was in the previous region, which was at the axon hillock, right? This is the previous region. The axon hillock region is now undergoing the repolarization and hyperpolarization phase, which is shown here while the adjacent region is now at the peak. Now you can see what's gonna happen here is this process is going to continue because now you have the same amount of sodium coming across through the sodium channels in the adjacent region as came across initially at the axon hillock. So now we have a new current flow right depolarizing current that's now going to be attracted to the next adjacent region of the axon and that current flow is going to be sufficiently strong to bring this adjacent region which is now being shown here in this third graph it's going to bring that adjacent region to threshold and so the action potential is going to be triggered there And you get a whole nother set of voltage-gated sodium channels which open, and that's going to allow that region to depolarize up to 30 millivolts again. So the process, the, 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 the mechanism of this regeneration of the action potential and the fact that it's not dying out is because the... The depolarizing current, as it moves along the membrane, it doesn't get diluted because additional voltage-gated sodium channels open at each new segment of membrane, whereas you don't see those, uh, that continued renewal of the depolarizing current up in the cell body and the dendrites because there are very few voltage-gated channels up in the cell body and dendrite. All right, so you don't get an ion dilution effect. Uh, There's this continued opening and continued regeneration of the action potential. So effectively what happens is once the action potential is triggered at the hillock, then it is renewed at each new segment of axon and in that way it propagates down the entire axon no matter how long it is. The voltage gated channels really allow for this long distance transmission of the electrical signal that does not die out. And that's the crucial nature of um, how they propagate in a regenerative manner. And the last property I will mention here is that action potentials have a refractory period. Now, there's two different types of refractory periods. There's what's called an absolute refractory period. And really, this is the only one I want to talk about. There's also what's called a relative refractory period, which is less important. So the absolute refractory period is defined as the time during which a segment of membrane, we'll call it the axon membrane, cannot generate another action potential. So there's a there's a small window of time where uh, another action potential cannot be generated, and the reason for this is that is because of the inactivation of the voltage gated sodium channels. Again. Inactivation means that the channel is closed and cannot reopen. And if the channels can't reopen, then obviously another action potential can't be triggered. Now, effectively, the absolute refractory period, and this is shown actually in figure Four ten in the book on page ninety nine. If I find that one, this here it is. So here we go. All right, here's the absolute refractory period. It shows the, it being from where the action potential first begins, right, at the threshold, to uh, about where slightly after the action potential ends, so uh, in the slightly hyperpolarized period. Now, the exact duration of the absolute refractory period is not that important to know. We can say that, OK, for a neuron, it's going to last a little bit more than a millisecond. The, during that entire period, well, really, it's only from the peak. right? This is where the, uh, let me do this in a different color. We'll do a darker green here. So at the peak of the action potential, this is where there's a decrease in permeability to sodium because the sodium channels inactivate. So they can't reopen. And what causes the channels to reset to a closed state is a re- repolarization of the membrane uh, to minus 70 millivolts or slightly below minus 70 millivolts. So down here at this mark where the refract absolute period in, this is where the voltage-gated sodium channels they are said to reset from an inactive state to a closed state. And the closed state is where they're back to a point where they can reopen if the membrane depolarizes back to the threshold potential. Now, obviously, if you come over to where they say the absolute refractory period begins here, um, I mean, it's kind of obvious that the, the sodium channels are not inactivated at that point. That's the point at which they all open, right? 100% of them. So obviously, if all the channels are open, you can't get additional sodium, voltage-gated sodium channels opening. So that's why they extend the absolute refractory period to the beginning of the action potential, because more of those channels cannot be open since they're all already open. Now really what this means, uh, uh, the important consequence of this absolute refractory period is that action potentials cannot be summed. And because of this, action potentials travel unidirectionally from the axon hillock down the axon to the axon terminals and the as the action potential propagates down the axon it is the action potential cannot be regenerated to propagate back in the opposite direction because of the inactivation of sodium channels. Now, what does it mean that action potentials cannot be summed? Well, all that really refers to is the fact that, do a quick drawing here. Let's show our minus 70 millivolts here, and then minus 50 here. So let's say here's our threshold potential. If the membrane depolarizes to threshold, all the voltage-gated sodium channels open. This here's plus 30 millivolts. So this is the membrane potential in millivolts versus time. Uh, Sodium channels inactivate. So it decreased permeability to sodium as the potential reverses and repolarization begins. Effectively, action potentials cannot be sum means that as the membrane is repolarizing, this segment of membrane where the action potential is occurring Uh, the, the sodium channels can't be forced to reopen to cause something like this to happen right where the channels open and you get a larger second action potential occurring on top of the first one. So this cannot happen. So the example I'm trying to give here is You know, if the voltage-gated sodium channels opened again, or opened at this point, then you would get a larger peak change in voltage that could reach the equilibrium potential for sodium. But this can't happen because all during this repolarization period, the voltage-gated sodium channels are in- inactivated. And it's not until the membrane is at least repolarized to the resting potential that those channels can be reset to the closed state. All right. So in that manner, action potentials cannot sum together to give you larger action potentials. All right. So those are the 7 properties that hopefully give you a better feel for uh, the properties of an action potential and how action potentials can propagate over long distances of an axon, no matter how long the axon is. So let's go back to a quick drawing of a neuron. and. I'm going to draw some lines. These lines are just going to indicate the dendrites protruding out from the cell body. The line down here represents the axon. And then we have the axon hillock right here. The initial segment of the axon. Now, the whole point of this, of action potentials, is that it allows for the axon terminal right here's our axon terminal to become informed about a stimulus that occurred up in the dendrites at a different in a different part of the body and remember this stimulus it has an intensity to it and it has a particular duration to it two important pieces of information that is initially that information about the stimulus is initially captured or preserved if you like in the graded potential that's formed And that graded potential is initiated out here where the stimulus happened. Then the graded potential moves by current flow. This is inside the cell down to the axon hillock. And remember, this graded potential, it has a magnitude which depends on the intensity and it has a duration, which is dependent on stimulus duration. So in that way, right, the information about the stimulus is transduced or captured in the graded potential. Now, if that graded potential is depolarizing, then, let's say it's, it's depolarizing and it's large enough to bring the axon hillock to threshold when it reaches the axon hillock, then let's say an action potential is triggered. But the property of the action potential is that it has a constant magnitude and it also has a constant duration. And that's fundamentally because of the properties of the voltage-gated channels, right? 100% of the channels open, and these channels have a fixed open time, right? That's the all-or-none property. Well... The whole point of this electrical change in the membrane potential is that the electrical electrical change propagates down to the axon terminal, and the axon terminal then becomes informed about the stimulus that occurred up in the dendrites. And by informed about the stimulus, It's informed about the intensity of the stimulus as well as the duration of the stimulus. But there appears to be, it looks on the surface here, that there's a disconnect in in how that information is going to be conveyed to the terminal. Because if an action potential has a constant magnitude and duration, well, how can an action potential then communicate information about stimulus, intensity, and duration if, it can't, if the action potential can't vary in either of those properties. The key here, then, the question is, how does an action potential uh, communicate information about stimulus intensity and duration? And the answer to that, and this is going to end the lecture here, is that a single action potential does not or cannot communicate information about stimulus intensity and duration, cannot do this. because it has, a, as I said, constant magnitude and duration. But the key is that multiple action potentials occurring over a certain time period can communicate that information, particularly about the intensity. So my time is up. So the intensity of a stimulus is, Communicated by the number of action potentials. Not just the number, but the number occurring in a specific period of time. What is better known as the frequency frequency of action potentials. Okay, so I'll end this lecture here, and um, this is largely what is described in section 4.3 in the book on action potentials. And I'll mention a few other properties of action potentials, and then we're going to move on to talk about how action potentials then trigger neurons to communicate with other neurons as well as with other cells.